Coming up, were the home run chases we saw this season the best thing to happen to baseball in the last 10 years? And part two, in or out on D-backs pitchers that should be contributors in the bullpen in 2023, all coming up on today's Locked On Diamondbacks podcast. You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day listening to who? The always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account or just look up Locked On Diamondbacks, both Twitter Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Locked on Diamondbacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms. So please continue to tell your friends. Don't forget to hit subscribe on YouTube so you guys can see my ugly mug five days a week or whenever I'm doing podcasts. So check us out on YouTube, Locked on Diamondbacks on there as well. We got part two of in or out coming today with the D-backs pitchers and who should be going into the bullpen in 2023. But before we get there, I first want to talk about Aaron Judge, Albert Pujols, and the home run chases that we've had this season because I have a question about whether the home run chases and the record chases we saw this season is... If it's the biggest draw baseball has had basically in the last 10 years, basically, I have this theory that since LeBron made the decision to go to Miami and moved baseball in the background, because when you look at basketball, everyone talks about how Magic and Bird saved the NBA, right? They came in when the, the sport was a little bit broke, a little bit dying, needed a little bit more exposure. Those guys helped bring the eyeballs to the TV. Jordan, what did he do? He made it a global game, right? And then they said LeBron, he made it mobile because LeBron started player movement. Once LeBron made the decision to go to Miami, now we see superstars every three months in basketball ask for a trade. But LeBron didn't just make the game mobile by in terms of movement. He also made it mobile by the phone because right around 2010 was also right when Twitter was taken off, right when viral clips were taken off. People want to talk about the NBA and the offseason and the drama just as much as they want to talk about the encore stuff, right? That's when we had all these debate shows popping up. First take, we're debating who's the GOAT. So I think once LeBron made the decision to go to Miami, it didn't just make the NBA mobile by player movement, also made it mobile by fans being on their phones more and watching the game through that and just tweeting about it. And Ever since then, baseball, I think, kind of has moved into the background of conversation because at the same time that baseball, excuse me, at the same time LeBron was making the league mobile, people want to talk more and just have debates about basketball and sports. Like, 
People love sports just as much nowadays for the debates and the play. Like, you don't even have to watch a game anymore to enjoy sports. You can just listen to the post-game podcast. Sometimes I love a post-game podcast as much as I do actually watching the game live. And I think for baseball, at the same time we saw this happening in 2010, you know what was happening in 2011? It was Mike Trout's rookie year. And as Mike Trout progressed through those first few years of his career, the rise of analytics, we saw it in baseball. And I think analytics just made the game so black and white. War was rampant. All you had to do to pick your MVP was look at who had the highest war and that was going to win MVP, right? Unless you had Miguel Cabrera hitting a triple crown, it was going to go to Mike Trout pretty much every single season because he was the war king during that time. And so baseball became so black and white. There was no minutia. There was no gray areas. There was no, hey, I like that guy. Who do you like? Oh, my guy's better because of this, this, and that. No, it was, oh, look at these stats. War is better than your guy's war. So my guy is obviously better than your guy. There's no debate. There was no more sports debate, barbershop debates when it came to baseball. And so once it took that background as basketball was taken off, it really went to the foreground. Of course, football's always there. Baseball came into the background. We weren't talking about as much. And now I look at the last 10 years, I'm like, there hasn't been a lot of great moments that have drawn the casual fan back to the sport. And that's really what I'm talking about. Because if you were a baseball fan, you were always going to watch baseball pre and post LeBron the decision. But for the casual fan, post LeBron decision, I think those fans started gravitating more toward basketball and football because you didn't just have to watch the game. You can also debate about the game, which is something you couldn't do in baseball. So I look at this home run chase by Aaron Judge and Albert Pujols. I'm like, this might be the biggest draw that has turned people Back to the sport of baseball, it's the biggest exposure that baseball has had that has brought the casual fan back in because, what, over the last month, every time Albert Pujols went up to the plate, you had to watch those at-bats to see if he's getting closer to 700. Over the last couple of weeks, with Aaron Judge sitting on 60, it's been a big deal, a big spectacle every time he goes up to the plate. Will Aaron Judge tie that number 61, the Roger Maris, and how, how much will he break it by? How far will he surpass it? Those are big ticket items that have brought the casual fan back to the TV. And I'm just thinking since the, since the LeBron decision, since like 2010, 2011, what are the other things that have even brought the casual fan back? And I think maybe around 2015, I think Derek Jeter's 3,000th hit might have been the last time we've had like this collectiveness of sports fans in general. You don't even have to be a baseball fan. You just want to see greatness. You just want to see amazing records. And I think sports fans collectively – since Derek Jeter, this is the first time that they've hovered around just one at bat to see a baseball player. Like, how many times have you had conversations about baseball with, you know, just your casual sports fan on a daily before this season? Probably not too often. I love baseball, but outside the people in Locked On, it wasn't like I was talking about baseball every day. But because of this home run chase, it has brought into the conversation of not just whether Aaron Judge will get the record, but will he get the record and then win MVP? You also got the him versus Otani debate, the MVP debate. So the home run chases have just brought so many fun narratives that I don't think we've really had since Jeter's 3,000th hit because, again, if you want to make the parallels, both of those are New York Yankees legends. Like, maybe Aaron Judge is not a legend yet, but if he signs a mega contract this offseason, he will probably end up as a Yankees legend. So being a star, breaking records in New York – will pull the people back to the sport of baseball. And I just don't think we've yeah, had something. Oh, whoa. Mind. 
I hope you guys didn't hear that. I really hope baseball, I don't know when baseball reference started to play video, so I don't know why baseball reference decided to start playing videos with sound all of, all of a sudden like they're ESPN. So I apologize for that if you heard it. I thought I was moving great, had a great train of thought, and that thing kind of threw me off for a loop a little bit. But since uh, I was making the parallel, both of those New York guys, and I think when you have such a giant franchise like the Yankees, what, top three in terms of evaluations for sports franchises. you got guys like Aaron Judge, who's a spectacle, and hit the 60-plus home runs. you got Derek Jeter, one of the best base hitters of all time. Both of those guys breaking records in a New York Yankees uniform. That's just going to pull the casual fan in because as great as Otani is and how much he was a spectacle last season, it's not like you're going to watch every Otani at bat or every Otani pitch because, yeah, you might turn on the games where he's pitching so you can see him both bat and pitch, but the days he's just batting, you're not turning on the TV to see those Otani at-bats. They're not must-see at-bats. Maybe if Otani's ever in line to break a home run record, then they will be, or if he's in line to become one of the best you know, starting pitchers ever, then maybe he will be, but as much of a spectacle Otani is, he wasn't bringing the casual fan, or he was bringing the casual fans' eyeballs to the game, but not in the way Aaron Judge was because when he was going up to the bat, you knew you had to get to a TV, and I don't think it was like that for Otani. The only thing that I, the the only other storyline or narrative that I think was as close to Aaron Judge's home run record is the Houston Astros scandal because I think everyone was ready to turn into baseball during the 2020 season to see the booing, to see the hatred tour that the Astros were going to endure. But because of the pandemic, it really lessened our feelings toward the Astros. And by the time they came on the field, it was like a, a long time after the whole scandal broke. And like, you just didn't have the same feelings of resentment toward the Astros as opposed to when it first broke. And you're like, oh, we're going to see that team next month. It was like seven months later by the time we actually saw that Astros team. That's still off the field. That's not even really on the field stuff. So really, since 2010, since LeBron and the decision, I think the Aaron Judge and the Albert Pujols home run Chase has been the biggest spectacle baseball has had. I think it's been the best thing for the casual fan because I think it makes you want to run to your TV and see whether those guys are going to hit the home run because guess what, baseball? The home run is still the coolest thing you got. Don't dead in the baseballs. Don't do that. The peak of Major League Baseball in their history is still the steroid era because people want to see offense. You know what people want? The number one thing people want from a sports game is high scoring and it to be competitive. They want what the Rams and Chiefs had, what, back in 2018, 2019, where you had like a 52-48 win. Like, it was a close game, and it was a one of the high-scoring games of all time. That's what fans want, and we... I don't even know what point I was making. I, I almost lost my point there. That's what fans want. They want high-scoring. Oh, I was making a point about the home run. So that's how it all ties together, because fans want a high-scoring, close game. And with the home runs... Chased by Judge and Albert Pujols, you at least added the home runs and made the game interesting again, for the casual fan at least. Now, I'm going to talk about which pitchers we should be in or out on in 2023 when it comes to the bullpen. But if you're trying to get in your girl, hopefully I can say that, you need to get a blue chew or guy. You know, we don't discriminate around here. But if you're having trouble getting it up, you need to head to bluechew.com because summer is winding down, the nights are getting longer, but the breeze isn't the only thing that's getting stiff. That's right, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Guys, we all know that confidence can take you in, can take you far in life. That's especially true in the bedroom, especially when it's time to step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that 
delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in the discreet package. They always say first impressions are important. Well, what about lasting impressions? So... You could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform. Chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOCKEDON at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. Promo code LOCKEDON to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. All right, all right. Let's play a little game of in or out on D-backs pitchers that should be contributors in the bullpen in 2023. And the first guy I want to start with, excuse me. And again, if you listen to part one yesterday and part two today, you might be like, whoa, he's got more ins than we even have bullpen spots. So some guys are not going to make it. Yes, that might be true, but I don't care. The D-backs will figure it out. I know you can only have a certain limit on pitchers on your roster. So even though I might go over the limit with how many ins I've said, I don't care because eventually all the guys I said I'm in on might pitch for the D-backs next season. So back to the game. In or out, first guy, Humberto Castellanos. And unfortunately for me on Castellanos, Despite the injury, even before the injury, I would have been out on Castellanos. I'm not a big Humberto Castellanos guy. I remember at the beginning of the season, D-backs Twitter really in on Castellanos, really want him to be a starter. And I just never thought he was that good or going to be that good. Um, he had above 800 OPS to both righties and lefties. I think my autocorrect, I think my notes autocorrected righties to righteous. I thought that was pretty funny when I was reading it. I was like, whoa, above 800 OPS to the righteous? What is that about? But Castellanos above 800 OPS with both righties and lefties, above 1,000 OPS with runners in scoring position, near 800 OPS allowed with two strikes or two outs. Like this guy has trouble putting away batters, two strikes or two outs. He struggles in those situations. And those are the money situations. If you can't put away a batter with two strikes or if you can't get out the inning with two outs, like those are the money situations. It's like third downs in football, two strikes, two outs. Those are the money situations. So for Castellanos, you have to put those batters away or finish off those innings. He also, very low strikeout numbers while giving up double digits hits per nine. I just don't see the upside of Castellanos and I'm going to be out on him for the bullpen in 2023. Next up, Tyler Gilbert. And this one is one of those qualifiers because I'm not a huge Tyler Gilbert fan, but as a lefty specialist, I might be in on him for the D-backs bullpen next season because 800 OPS against righties, no good, no bueno, but almost cut in half against lefties. He's a very effective pitcher against lefties. If you remember last season, it was actually a pretty solid reliever for the D-backs before making his first start and throwing a no-hitter against the San Diego Padres. And so far in Tyler Gilbert's career, his numbers as a reliever are pretty effective if you look at the 
raw traditional stats like average allowed 174 era allowed 135 like those are pretty great numbers so i wonder what you can do with more of a full-time opportunity as a reliever also 185 average and below 600 ops allowed when it's the opposing batter's first plate appearance so that means the first time through the order, he does a good job. It's that second, third time through the order is when opposing batters and teams really start attacking Tyler Gilbert. So maybe as a reliever, when he only has to face opposing batters for one plate appearance, maybe he will thrive and excel in that situation. So I wouldn't be against Tyler Gilbert as maybe a lefty specialist in the pen next season. I don't love his pitching profile. I don't love the types of pitches he throws. I don't love the low 90s guys, especially when you're a dude in your mid-20s, but if he's effective and he can do it just against lefties, that will be good enough for me. How about this one? This is another qualifier type dude, Corbin Martin. And I got a yes, but on a short leash. And it's really just a yes because I need to see these Houston Astros pitchers. I still don't know what we got back in that Zach Ringy deal because most of those guys don't play outside of Josh Rojas, outside of Josh Rojas who is by far the best player and prospect we got back in that deal which is also surprising because he was the worst player we got back in that deal but so far he's exceeded all expectations but the other three players I still have a lot of question marks and I still really don't know how good they are I've barely seen them on the major league level Corbin Mar and JB Ruskakis haven't played a ton on the major league level Seth Beer he hasn't had a ton of experience on the major league level and for Corbin Martin he probably profiles better as a back-end rotation guy, but I want him to be basically the right-handed Caleb Smith next year because I think he kind of is Caleb Smith-esque with a little bit more gas on that fastball because he hasn't been terrible as a reliever this season, Corbin Martin, just like Caleb Smith hasn't been terrible as a reliever this season. Corbin Martin is a reliever this year, 4.4 ERA. 679 OPS allowed, like not terrible. Dove, he does give up a ton of hard contact, but because of... The pitching profile we had on him when we acquired him, we thought he could be a mid-rotation guy. Maybe he's not that guy, but he's still a guy that could throw in the mid-90s, got a couple secondary pitches, and we got Brent Strom, who used to work with him in Houston. I want to see what he could do with him in Arizona, so I'm still slightly in on Corbin Martin, but it's a short leash. If Martin comes in and just looks terrible the first three months of next season, then I'm fine doing whatever you need to do with Corbin Martin because that might have been a waste of a deal for the D-backs and that Zach Greinke package. And then next up is the other Astros pitcher that we got back in that Zach Rinky deal in JB Berskakis because, again, it's another yes with him, but it's because he was sold to me to be a good reliever. That's what he was billed as as a pitching prospect, and I just don't know how good of a reliever JB Berskakis is because he was hurt for a lot of this season, and he's basically... I always say basically before I tell a fact. He's been in the minor leagues all year. We haven't seen J.B. Braskakis on the major league level this year. So I really don't know how good J.B. Braskakis is as a reliever, even though he was built to me as a really good reliever. Fastball has gotten hammered in his short little stint in 2021. Good results with the slider, though. But the fastball got absolutely hammered. And Reno this season, he's had 
He had put up solid numbers, though. 2.33 ERA, the 16 to 4 strikeout to walk ratio in 19.1 innings. You'll definitely take that. Still has a mid 90s fastball, too. And I will say he's at least got that reliever swagger. When I see him up there on the mound, he definitely pitches like a guy who should be an elite reliever. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense to you, but in my mind, when I see him, he's got the swag. He's got the little leg kick. He looks like reliever. He's got the tight pants as well. So I like J.B. Braskakis from a swag standpoint, and I'm in on him as being a good reliever for next season just because I haven't seen him, and he's been built to me as a potential really good back-end reliever. How about Edwin Yusida? For him, I'm actually in on Yusida. Kind of weird because his ERA is absolutely terrible. If you just look at the ERA, you would think Yusida is not a very good pitcher. But some of the underlying numbers tell you Yusida might actually not be that bad. Like when the ball's in play, his Babbitt batting average on balls in play, only 240. You can definitely take that. He's a major ground ball pitcher, 44% ground ball rate, way higher than his fly ball rate, around 30%. So you'll, you'll definitely take that as well. I love a nice ground ball pitcher. Good hard contact numbers. Doesn't get crushed in that department. I think around an 87 mile an hour exit velocity below 40% hard hit percentage. Like solid hard contact numbers. And his numbers are also pretty good against righties and lefties as well. Like it doesn't really matter who it is. I think it's like below 700 OPS against both righties and lefties. So he doesn't have to just pitch against one type of opposing batter. So I like that as well. Now, he doesn't really have like a fastball. He's not that kind of a guy, but he's a mid 90 sinker ball pitcher. So he should produce a lot of ground balls. And in the past, we've seen that he's been effective at striking out people. In his 20 innings pitch with the Dodgers um, last season, he had double digit strikeouts per nine. So this is someone that does have strikeout potential and stuff mixed with the ground ball stuff. I would like to see him in the bullpen because the underlying numbers tell me he could be good despite his ERA being absolutely terrible. Here's a fun one. Luis Frias, and maybe you guys want to guess what I'm going to say here because you guys might have your own thoughts on Luis Frias because for me, I'm going no on Luis Frias and that might seem like a shock because his stuff is phenomenal. This is someone that could touch triple digits. We've seen it this season. We've been begging D-backs to get someone that could throw 100 miles an hour and they got that wish in the in the form of Luis Frias. But the thing with Frias is he could throw 100. You just don't know where it's going to go. Might be in the strike zone. It might be in the backstop. It might be in right field third deck because he gives up a home run. Like, you don't know where that fastball is going to be for Luis Frias because he has absolutely no command of it. It's going all over the strike zone. He's walking a ton of dudes, gives up a ton of hard contact and loud contact. And when he's ahead in the count, he's given up above a 300 average and above an 800 OPS. He's not good when he's ahead in the count. Only throws strikes 58% of the time. So despite having elite stuff, like I said, he just does not throw enough strikes. Above 300 average allowed on both his fastball and slider or curveball, whatever you want to call it. So none of his, none of his pitches are effective despite how good they look. Does not matter. I think Luis Friash is one of those dudes who you wish cast and hope can turn into the close of the future because of how good his stuff looks. But in reality, he will always leave you disappointed because he has absolutely no feel for it. So Luis Friash, unfortunately, I'm out on you, but I hope you can turn it around because once again, that stuff is nasty. Two more. Taylor Widener is next, and Taylor Widener, I'm actually in on. It's not just because we share a birthday, October 24th. Shout out me, Taylor Widener, and Drake, but 
Taylor Weiner. He's been solid in a small sample size this season. I think for next year, I'll kind of do the Tyler Gilbert, well, or not Tyler Gilbert, but Corbin Martin, while I keep Tyler, where I keep Taylor Weiner on a short leash because he gives up a lot of hard contact as well. His numbers this season are considerably better against lefties, even though he's a, a righty, uh, even though he's a right-handed pitcher. His numbers are way better against lefties, so maybe he's a left-handed. Maybe he's a lefty specialist despite being a right-handed pitcher. I think that would be a very interesting juxtaposition. Mid-90s fastball, too. So I love my fastball flamethrowers in my bullpen. And Taylor Widener could be one of those, too. And I was a fan from him from the start where he started the season last year and was solid for the D-backs those first few weeks of the year. Was it 2020? Was it already two years ago? Whenever it was. Whenever... Taylor Widener started the season as a starter. I can't even remember at this point. The season's again blended together. I thought he was solid. I was a fan of him. Might have been 2021. So Taylor Widener, I would not be upset giving him, be upset giving him another chance in the bullpen in 2023. And then the final guy, Tyler Holton. I'm saying I'm in on Holton because I don't love his fastball. But he's got a deep arsenal of secondary pitches to complement. He's been good in the small sample size this season. Hard contact numbers are good. Arrow percentage given up is good. Only one hit in 11 at-bats against lefties. So he might be a lefty that's actually a lefty specialist. So I'm down to give Tyler Holton another chance in 2023. And with that, that's it for this edition of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Thank you to everyone who tuned into today's podcast. Thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. Go make your second listen of the day. Locked on MLB with my pal Sully Baseball. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. Deuces.